Welcome to another episode of Strange Days Live on this beautiful Tuesday, January 30th of 2024 as we approach the tail end of the first month of the 24th. We welcome you to another episode again and thank you the listeners for being here, being faithful. Um, We invite you to join us live. Uh, Call us at 951-888-0313 or you can join us via our link that we're posting on the show notes and uh, on the show comment section once again we thank you all faithful listeners and Chinchi, uh, hi how are you thank you for joining thank you so much for what uh, for uh, for your comments we appreciate them again you can join us uh live via the link that I should share or via the phone number that I'm about to post is area code 951-888-0313. Our show comes on live at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, Monday through Friday. Uh, Unfortunately, this Friday we will not have uh, a show as I'm uh, getting ready to go out of town on a special mission, if you will. But we'll be back on Monday, the following Monday. Chinchi, awesome that you love Gail and Tim's show too. Yeah, they're 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 cool people. So, our topics for today will be the near death experience phenomena, also known as the NDEs. We'll get ready to get settled here, waiting for a couple of more listeners to show, so we can get the show started. How was everybody's day today? I hope everybody had a fine day here in Southern California. We had an awesome weather as always. Uh, Warm, probably low 70s, low to mid 70s here in the Inland Empire where I'm uh, currently located. And currently is probably within the same range. Um, Nice weather, can't complain. Uh, Let's see. One of our faithful listeners, Chinchi, comments, Talk, have you heard of A Thousand Ways to Die? Yes, I love that show. Um, very cool. I used to watch that a lot. Um, it's, it, it's uh, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it, I like the way it was produced. It had sort of like a, like a comical um, approach to it. And uh, I, I, uh, I appreciated it. Um, I wonder if I'm sure some of those some of those stories are um, are very. Uh, I'm sure that they're all known. I mean, uh, they're all true stories. What I meant to say, but yeah, there was some horrible. Um, <laughs> there was some horrible ways uh, to go. Unfortunately, um, yeah, I enjoyed um, the way that it was produced. I enjoyed the comical aspect of it. So yeah, I'm very familiar with that show. Late '90s, early 2000s shows had a, a different uh, approach to them, uh, and I, and I, that particular show sticks to me as being one of uh, one of the ones that had sort of like the same, same way of production. So yeah, I was uh, I was very familiar with that show. With that being said, I'm uh, uh, going to go ahead and, and, and straight into the topic, if you will. We I've noticed that uh, according to our the you know the all, all the material and all the measures you, you gather from the show uh, the first 10 minutes of a show are very important and um, 
So I'm going to kind of go, go straight into the topic, if you will, as opposed to just uh, going into other aspects of the show, which would be uh, your news and things like that. I think you can, uh, once in a while, it's okay, but I'm not going to make that part of the regular format. Now, in regards to the NDEs, what is an NDE? Uh, you know, roughly described this uh, is a near-death experience, meaning that uh, the subject that if uh, the subjects that have experienced this, uh, it's been it's closest to death that somebody um, who's still alive uh, can recall. Uh, you know, there's not many people that have come back from death, although there's been documented cases of medical death. And people coming back from that, but um, you know, it's a, it's an experience that's been uh, documented through time by many different individuals from all walks of life. Um, let's go on. So, just want to welcome everybody uh, another episode of Strange Days Life. As you know, I'm your host Doc, and today we're going to be delving into a mysterious realm, uh, which has intrigued. Uh, intrigued and captivated people for centuries, the near-death experience or NDEs. We're going to be exploring real cases. We're going to be examining the science behind the phenomenon and uh, leaving the verdict up to you, to the listener. To kick things off, um, I want to set a stage, okay? So the near-death uh, near experience are reported by people who have been on the brink of death and uh, oftentimes offering a glimpse into what may await us on the other side. As the Bible says, it is appointed for men to live once and then faith, judgment, or death. While some dismiss these accounts as mere hallucinations, others actually believe that they provide insights into our afterlife. Some common um, features of NDEs or near-death experiences include the following, uh, a feeling of inner peace, an out-of-body experience in which subjects have, a, have been able to recollect uh, the moment when they seem to be crossing this threshold, whether it be due to an accident or due to um, cases where people have been uh, undergoing surgeries or other uh, traumatic events, people are able to recollect um, what other individuals were, were having uh, or were doing actually at the time uh, without, you know, um, prior insight. So somebody would recall uh, things being said in the room while they were being operated on and basically becoming an next spectator, um, which is highly... Uh, hard for somebody to to be able to replicate uh, because some of these people may be under the influence of uh, anesthetics or other paralyzing agents um, there's also been reporting uh, people that they've been having a feeling of traveling uh, in a dark environment or experience a quote-unquote void there's also some uh, features um, in regards to reviewing one's life uh, from childhood and onwards, sometimes reported uh, before childhood. So reflections of them being uh, in the womb prior to birth, able to recall their life, sort of like a life review from the beginning to the end. There have been uh, reports of experiencing and seeing a bright light. 
I guess that would come in together with uh, traveling in a dark environment, being stuck in a void, and all of a sudden being able to experience a bright light, a uh, bright light that's, uh, you know, either uh, in front of them or um, surrounding them. And uh, also, there's some experiences of entering an extraterrestrial or otherworldly realm. Along with experiencing this phenomenon people have also reported that uh, after having such experiences they've also have had some personal changes to their lives some of them have completely lost the fear of death uh, some of them have also had their belief strengthened into a life after death and uh, most of these feelings especially are favored towards the belief into uh, a god Uh, or believing into a higher uh, a power, if you will, after having these experiences. Some people have also recounted uh, having uh, a new sense of purpose or a new sense of mission and uh, a heightened sense of self-esteem and also an increase in compassion and love for others, which in essence are all very amazing and positive feelings the people that after undergoing a NDE have reported. Before we go on, I'm just gonna, I like to review the comments every time I, I sort of, I go from one uh, one point to another, just to make sure everything is going. We've got Goth, Bosch, Incarnate, SDL, it's finally coming around to the things I have interested in. Thank you for that comment, that means a lot. Um, You don't need to have those things to have an NDOB. Yes, I agree with you. I'm just reporting some of the most common uh, feelings experienced. And uh, Goth went into uh, OBE, stands for out of body experience. Um, and there's some other acronyms there as well. So going back here to the business of the reports of. Uh, of this phenomenon. Um, you know, before we dive into the case studies that I've accumulated for today, um, I'm actually going to explore the scientific aspects of a near-death experiences. These are described as an intriguing phenomenon, and while the scientific community continues to investigate and understand these things, uh, some facts and observations have emerged. It's important to note that a scientific study of NDEs is a very complex and evolving, evolving field as these things change on a daily, uh, daily to daily uh, case scenario and experiences. So there's a lot of researchers, uh, researchers that are very fascinated by, by this case and it's, they're, they're very um, on the upfront as far as exploring what uh, these people have experiences. So it's basically, A must, I, I would say, to have an open mind. Okay, these are um, experiences, and often, you know, it, it's hard to validate an experience. It's not something that you could uh, apply the scientific method to. You basically just have to take uh, somebody's uh, beliefs at face value. Okay, but uh, here are some of the scientific facts and observations that that are related to the NDEs that I mentioned above. So. When things happen to have a common um, a common thread, if you will, um, I think that it gives it a little bit more validity when you have a group of people that have experienced uh, something that's 
you know, from different countries, let's say somebody, have, they have a, a commonality of uh, quote unquote, we're not going to call them symptoms, but experiences that lends to lead more credence that the, the phenomenon has a reality based on it. You know, if there was one person that experienced one thing and you have 99 that have not, then, you know, we have to go with the 99 um, to make it a more credible, uh, sort of like you gather folks that have undergone this and you distill all this experience and then you come out with a top 10 if you will uh, more like uh, experiences that you can distill from that and then you just kind of go with that and you make that into a, into a, a list right of things that they have to meet in order for them to to be called a true NDE then again you have here people that may experience something completely different so you know as i said again it's an experience um again i'm going to go to common elements so the, the ndes often share common elements as i said before moving through a tunnel feeling of peace having a life review and uh, what's important about this is that they've been reported across diverse cultural and religious backgrounds okay so it's not like only for example like Catholics or Christians experience this. This has been experienced by people that are a, they're atheists that don't believe in any entities, people that are Muslims, people that are come from other types of religions, you know. So it's it's an experience shared by all, regardless of what your particular set of beliefs are. The brain activity during an NDE is a, it's an important science, if you will. If you can, you know, NDEs can happen, uh, and it's very unpredictable. So, how do you do research, you, you know, on, on something like this? You know, there was a movie back into in the eighties, nineties. It was called Flatliners. Um, Keith Sutherland and. Uh, Keith Sutherland, I don't know what was in the movie, who well, Julie Roberts was in the movie again, and basically centers around a bunch of medical students that would uh, perform experiments on one another, a sort of cause uh, uh, medical environment that would, uh, you know, that would have them create a sense of uh, flatline. It would flatline each other out and then see what they would experience. So uh, it's, I would say it's a very hard science or it's a very hard um, experience to bring forth, you know. Uh, some argue that these NDEs could be evidence for consciousness beyond the brain. Scientific studies suggest that these experiences uh, may be associated with altered brain function, obviously. For example, researchers have observed changes in the brain activity during, during cardiac arrest. Uh, which actually include heightened activity in the brain visual cortex. So you have a patient who's uh, having, a, happens to be having a, a heart attack, and uh, the monitors that are affecting different parameters of the body have spikes in different uh, different organ systems. And it's very interesting that the visual cortex at this particular moment uh, it's spiking in activity. You know. So that lends credence to the fact that uh, some areas that are, you know, that are able to interpret an experience may be more active than others. Um, another parameter of the NDEs is it's uh, OBEs. So that is an out-of-body experience. Now they, they don't go together, but they could go together. And this is a classical case in which you have somebody have an arrest 
while they're being operating on and they have the feeling that they're out of their body and they become an spectator into what's going on so people that would experience um uh, lifting or um basically they they elevate from their 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 flesh and they're able to see the doctors working around them the nurses working around them they're able to retain information about things being said in the room um and this can happen while somebody is either close to death or if they're just having a normal operation so i think that will be a distinct feature people have experienced having out-of-body experience without the necessity of them being you know quote-unquote coding or having their heart function um be compromised during a surgery uh, it could happen during sleep uh, astral projection, astral travel uh, could be considered an out-of-body experience and the patient or the person uh, does not necessarily need to be having um, a life-threatening event, if you, if you, if you will. Um, individuals uh, undergoing an out-of-body experience actually perceive themselves from a vantage point outside their physical body, as I've mentioned. Some studies have explored the neural mechanism that may contribute to the sensation, suggesting also a link to specific brain regions. Yeah, pretty uh, self-explanatory. Exploring a little bit further, the tunnel, the tunnel vision, excuse me, the tunnel, <laughs> the tunnel vision. Oh my goodness, I can't get this out. Uh, the tunnel vision that comes in uh, when people experience and ease is a sensation of moving through a tunnel. Uh, it's a very common aspect. Some research also proposed that they may be related to changes in blood flow to the eyes or alterations in visual processing during times of crises. You know, there's, uh, we hold us as, as, um, as people, uh, there's basically two mechanisms that are activated uh, in our bodies on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, and they're, um, self-preservation if you will there's a self-preservating mechanism and there's a, a resting mechanism one is called the parasympathetic uh, mechanism and the other one is called the sympathetic uh, mechanism these these are mechanisms that are innate to our brain and uh, the parasympathetic is more of a relaxing um, algorithm if you will and the sympathetic is an uh, it's more of an aware escape uh, uh, mechanism that's built into our our brain um, the the sympathetic uh, brain system also has uh, as, as part of its algorithm uh, there's a, a a path that's called the the, the um, it's a path that it's uh, it's actually called a fight or flight uh, mechanism and this was um, This is sort of when when you um, when you let's say that provide a scenario you enter in a dark alley it's dark and uh, you see something out of the corner of our eye, of your eye that might possess a threat let's say that you have uh, somebody chasing you you know uh, your body will go into this uh, self preservation mode in which we call the fight or flight reaction. You have, uh, or you experience increased breathing. Your your rate of breathing becomes increased and, and, and becomes deeper. You have uh, decreased movements of your diaphragm. 
you have uh, protected posture and movement patterns. You have a decreased awareness or recruitment. You're sort of just kind of pinpointing focused on what you want to do, which at the time is safety or escape. So other things uh, take a secondary approach and you're just kind of focusing on escape route. Um, you have, uh, you become a little bit more rigid because you're kind of hone in on, on escaping and, um, and your eyes may pinpoint and focus as opposed to what we call rest and digest will be the opposite. This is sort of the, where your body enters when you're relaxing. And this is when, you know, breathing becomes easier. Your, your diaphragm actually relax. Um, you're more aware of your movements, your patterns. You have a clear sensory aware, awareness. Um, and then you have uh, control breathing as well. And both of these things, you know, they, they work uh, throughout the day uh, in that they're, they're, they're balance systems, right? People that often uh, experience episodes of panic attacks or anxiety, they have uh, issues with their um, with their sympathetic or fight or flight in which there's not a specific threat out there, but their body goes into this mode. And so you have, you know, um, and let me revert, but as far as your pupils, uh, when you're under the sympathetic or fight or flight, they dilate. So you take more light in and you're able to uh, accommodate a little bit more uh, distance. You're able to be more aware of where you're heading. So just to recap, you have the fight or flight or sympathetic system. This is, uh, increases your alertness, dilates your pupil, increases your breathing rate, accelerates your heart, inhibits digestion, and uh, increases your muscle tone so you're more aware. And then the sympathetic, the parasympathetic is the rest uh, and digest is what we call. So going back to our uh, topic here at hand, um, the tunnel vision might, might kind of be part of that uh, fight or flight sympathetic, you know, as, as your body is being aware of something happening to it, whether it be an out of body experience or whether it be uh, impending doom as, you know, as uh, passing away. Uh, obviously, all these things are going to get tuned in and the tunnel vision will be part of that. Uh, fascinating. Uh, some people have also experienced what it's called the life review where individuals tend to relive significant moments from their past. And this is a very frequent component of an NDE. And uh, scientists and researchers have suggested that this could be linked to the brain's memory and emotional processing center sort of clearing or having impulses uh, projected to them as we, uh, as our body as, uh, are accommodating to, uh, to death. And uh, what's fascinating is that this is very consistent, as I spoke earlier, across all kinds of cultures, you know. So they have these core elements of the NDEs, uh, like the encountering of the lights, having a sense of peace, and uh, the consistency that we see throughout different cultures of religious belief lends a lot of credence to, to what people experience. There's a, a universal, uh, universality, if you will, uh, which supports the idea that uh, all these mechanisms are common. And I would, you know, go in hand in hand with the fact that we all, regardless of race of, or religion, we all share a body that functions in a similar manner, right? 
Many individuals who have undergone an NDE report profound and lasting changes in their attitudes, beliefs, and behavior. Some researchers are exploring the psychological and transformative effects of these experiences on the individual's worldview, as we spoke earlier. Um, now, uh, there's also, as, as it should be, there's also a skepticism and alternative explanations to NDEs. While some of the aspects can be explained by physiological or psychological or both factors, skeptics argue that these experiences may not be necessarily provide an evidence of an afterlife. They empathize, emphasize the need for caution interpretation, which I think is valid, and consideration of alternative explanations. And I've always said that when it comes to the paranormal or the unexplained, you know, being alone at home at night and hearing a noise downstairs does not automatically mean the existence of ghosts. You know, it can just be temperature variance. It could be other things that uh, can explain the noise, you know. So, so as, some, as being responsible investigators, uh, we need to find out that uh, what will be the most likely cause of a noise or an occurrence, you know, uh, as opposed to just... Um, you know, believing that everything is, is just something paranormal, right? Um, there's a very, um, there, there's a very uh, interesting uh, rational or problem-solving, uh, what I say, principle. It's called Occam's uh, Razor, O-C-C-A-M uh, Razor, R-A-Z-O-R for those that want to I want to research it. This is attributed to William of Ockham, a 14th century English philosopher and theologian. And in simple language, what it means is that Ockham's Racer states that the simplest explanation is preferable to one of the more complex. Okay, so this is your, you know, your sound downstairs, uh, you know, you're, you see, you're driving through a forest at night and you see two sets of uh, red eyes, you know. Uh, it's most like more likely to be an animal than it is to be some sort of Sasquatch. Uh, so th these are all uh, things that we have to account, and um, and I believe that that's it's very valid that we need to to do those things to be uh, to be able to experience the world as it should be experienced. You know, we can't go from zero to sixty. We need to kind of find the steps in between because uh, you know the answer is usually um, something simpler than we wanted to make it be. In medicine, we tend to call them, uh, we tend to call them the zebras, you know, meaning, um, I'm going to look for the, for the medical term here. Um, so a zebra is basically a, a, a slang that the doctors use for a surprising or often exotic medical diagnosis, you know, from, from what I understood, the term comes, if you're in New York City and you hear a set of hoofs, uh, in the distance is more likely to be a horse than a zebra, meaning that if you get a patient that's coming in to see you and they're coughing, uh, they most likely have a cold as opposed to, uh, you know, some exotic disease, uh, tuberculosis, right? You wouldn't jump to the conclusion that everybody that, that, that coughs has tuberculosis. You probably say, man, they probably just have a cold. And, uh, and, and that sort of fits with the Occam's racist principle as well. Let me go ahead and tend the chat here, see what's going on. Hey, Widow, how are you? 
Nice to have you on the show, JD. Hi, how are you? Bosch, thank you for your contributions. Kira, how are you? I'm driving home and listening at a stop. OBE experiences are not limited to people under a medical procedure. Yes, I agree with that. I've had an OBE that are very different from Lucent or Astro. Yep, I agree with that as well. Um, let's see here. Bosch continues to comment. And... Let's see here. For many years, including the early years as a child, I didn't understand things like looking at a stranger and seeing a whole movie with them and playing my head. Yeah, I got to take that into kind of follow that train of thought. But if you guys, uh, we have a very active and very healthy uh, comment section. So you guys can go in there and we have a lot of individuals that are very knowledgeable. Um, I appreciate you, Widow, for always being a part of the show and for your comments. Goth, good to have you here. You guys provide wonderful points. So going uh, back to um, our topic, uh, topic at hand, um, we just talked about skepticism and uh, applying the principles of uh, zebras, I mean, horses before zebras or Oakham's racer uh, to any facet of our lives. So it's essential to recognize that NDEs are complex. I agree. They're multifaceted experiences, of course, and the scientific understanding of this phenomena is ongoing. Yes, I agree with all of that. Researchers are continually exploring the neurological, physiological, and cultural aspects of NDEs to unravel the mystery surrounding this particular intriguing phenomenon. Amen to that. <laughs> Our first case that I would like to bring forth uh, on this night is um, it's a case of uh, Dr. Even Alexander. Uh, Dr. Alexander, you can find actually his testimony and uh, his own experience on YouTube. He's been very prolific about speaking out about his own experience. And uh, what's fascinating about this particular case is that this gentleman happens to be a neurosurgeon. He actually uh, wrote a book and shared his own experience. The name of the book is called Proof of Heaven, A Neurosurgeon's Journey into the Afterlife. Um, you know, I'm going to give you a brief uh, overview of his NDE experience. Uh, in 2008, uh, Dr. Eben uh, Alexander fell into a coma as a result of uh, contracting a bacterial meningitis. His cortex, the part of the brain that controls thought and emotion, was severely damaged. According to the conventional medical understanding, the extent of his brain damage should have left him in a state of complete unconsciousness. Contrary to expectations, actually, Dr. Um, Alexander reported a vivid and expansive near-death experience during this time that he spent in a coma. He described the journey into a realm beyond the physical world, which he refers to as the Gateway Valley. In this particular realm, he encountered a beautiful, spinning, and rapidly descending light that happened to emanate uh, from a melodic sound. He was guided by a young girl and communicated with various entities, including a brilliant orb of light that he identified as a higher being. One notable aspect of Dr. Alexander's NDEs is his claim of consciousness and self-awareness despite the severe neurological impact he experienced. His descriptions challenged the conventional scientific understanding of the relationship between brain function and consciousness during coma states. 
Dr. Alexander's case sparked discussion within the scientific community about the nature of consciousness and the potential for consciousness to exist independently of brain function, which I found fascinating. While some have found this account compelling and suggestive of consciousness beyond the physical body, others remain skeptical and emphasize the need for more rigorous scientific investigation. Critics argue that the experience uh, could be a a result of neural processes during the early stages of recovery. While Dr. Alexander contends that this NDE occurred during a period of profound brain impairment, making it highly unlikely that his experience were solemnly the production of his damaged brain. Dr. Eben Alexander's case is significant because it brings attention to the complexities surrounding near-death experiences, particularly when reported by individuals with a medical and scientific background such as Dr. Alexander. Continues to be a topic of debate and exploration into both the scientific and the spiritual communities. Anybody out there uh, familiar with this case? I, um, about three to four years ago, I happened to stumble upon this and I uh, watched the YouTube video, which um, was very intriguing. It was very personal and it was very sincere. Uh, I'm sure there's hundreds of interviews that Dr. Alexander has done since. I have not read his, um, his book particularly, but... Um, with skepticism abroad as well, I I, um, I I lend credence to a lot of things that uh, that, he, that he said and that he experienced. Uh, the, you know, the brain is a fantastic, amazing organ, and um, sometimes it lacks the ability to to heal itself, as we have experienced when our loved ones have uh, undergone any sort of either brain traumatic injuries or strokes. Um, and um, being a medical professional myself, I know that uh, having bacterial meningitis is a dire diagnosis, for sure. So the implications of him having undergoing uh, changes to his brain and experiencing these things while being affected by a, you know, by by a rampant infection is it's uh, it's very hard to to accommodate a function functionality of a brain to be able to, to to do those things is akin to having a severe leg infection and uh, being able to you know to run a hundred a hundred uh hundred dash uh a hundred meter race uh, within a record time i mean you have an organ that's compromised uh battling and uh you know but nonetheless um Things can happen, and the brain can rewire itself. But uh, I just find this case to be to be fascinating. <clears throat> uh, let me go here and tend real quickly to uh, to what's going on. Uh, There seems to be a disagreement here. I just got home, Kira. My phone thought for a moment the show has gone so far away from strange days and experiences that people have had and are real. Not a figment of, I'm sorry, but I disagree with all this being explainable. You're surely entitled uh, to your opinion, Kira. But uh, I don't think I don't think I've personally gone away from from what the intents of my show are. Um, 
Let's see. Hey, Jennifer, good to have you back. Uh, it seems like Kira is upset. Going to exit before I say something more. Doc's trying to explain away all paranormal ID experiences. You have to experience to know that it's real. Well, you know, um, again, we have to be responsible when it comes to the paranormal. Uh, we can't just, uh, you know, everything that happens. And I wish Kira was here to hear what I, when I had to comment about the Oakham's racer. And we need to be responsible. Not everything that we experience in life has to be paranormal. Now, I've been following paranormal things for most of my life. Ever since I can remember when I was five, six, seven, eight years old, I've always had a fascination. I've always studied this phenomena. And um, I, I disagree with you. I think that uh, in order for a science to be valid, you have to listen to skeptics and uh, you have to understand the other side of the coin. You can't just go blindsided into believing one one side of an argument or just sticking to something. And when somebody has an explanation, turn a bright eye. I mean, turn or turn away uh, a blind eye, if you will. I think that's irresponsible. Uh, you can't take that approach with anything in life. There's always has to be two sides. You have to explore the science. You have to tease the you know tease away um, the the things that are valid and the things that are not valid to, to have a responsible uh, conclusion. Okay, and that's just the way I feel about it. And that's uh, that's the principles of science at hand. You know, you have to be able to you you, you can't just dismiss everything as being paranormal. Uh, again, Occam's racers, you know, things that are the most likely to happen and the most li- the more likely to occur are by far the, 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 the chances are it's possible uh, to be something simple explanation. So I'm not dismissing things. I'm barely ex- I'm, I'm explaining things from from the paranormal aspect, but I have to take in con- into consideration the, the other point. Otherwise, you know, we just have a monologue here and we call everything paranormal, but that's not fun. That's, you know. It's your it's your decision um, to make, right? You see a, you see lights in the sky. You can call it a UFO. That's fine, but uh, you have to account for the fact that we have helicopters, that we have planes, you know, that we have drones, right? Um, I think we live in a in a day and time in which we're blessed to have the ability to be able to distinguish things that are either strange paranormal or things that are just part of our day-to-day life you know you can't expect to go on a freeway and see a pair of headlights in front of you and just immediately call it a ufo i mean what are the possibilities of being another vehicle right so that's all i'm doing and um you know i personally had an nde myself when i was seven years old so i have i've lived it and i can speak from a first person of of what i felt and, and and how it affected me so I appreciate you and I appreciate your, um, I appreciate your, uh, your comments, but if you can't tolerate, uh, how I choose to discuss a subject, both, uh, open-minded and, um, then yeah, then maybe the show is not for you. So that's how I choose to carry myself, uh, I think we all should have a, we have a job to, to be responsible and to be able to investigate, right? These things, these these are paranormal. These are things that are, you know, they they don't have any uh, solutions per se, but we have to, just like a a criminologist or a crime scene investigator, we have to account for every little piece of evidence and we have to, you know, account for them and we have to put them into our, our, um, into our, our set of facts, if you will. 
to be factual because if we lose that then people are just gonna you know they're not they're never gonna recognize a science right so that's just my my my, my two cents um let's see what the what the people are said uh Like yeah, this is from Jennifer. Like you say, dog, the brain is mysterious. Maybe it's okay for some people to think all chemical, but some of it's spiritual. Absolutely. I'm just, you know, I had an NDE experience, so mind, uh, I, I can't explain it away. I'll, I'll, I'll share it with you guys. But uh, yeah, you have to, you, you know, you have to account for for the fact that uh, our bodies are, you know, it's like saying every time we go to sleep and we have a dream, we're having an NDE. Uh, no, it doesn't work that way. Um, Widow says, I always try to disprove all paranormal experience. I'm very Spock-like. However, many experience for me are unexplained after looking at possibility. That's exactly um, the responsible thing to do. You know, we have to consider other things. Not everything is ghosts. Not everything is UFOs. And that's the only point that I'm bringing forth. And uh, I want to be transparent, you know. I want to tell you exactly where I stand and how I approach my show that uh, a lot of times we want to believe things, but we also have to consider the skepticism that falls behind it. And then after that, we make our own assertions and we make our own mind and then we live happily. Um, every person has, of course, every person has their own experience. Uh, okay, so let's let's keep going on with the show and then I'll, you know what, I think it's time. I'll, I'll share my own personal experience that I had with an NDE. So um, this happened... I, th- I believe I was between seven or eight years old. Uh, my uncle had a, a boat that he used to take me out to the lake once in a while. Uh, you know, we used to just ride around. He used to like to um, water ski. And my aunt and my aunt and my uncle at that time, they had they had no kids. I was sort of like the, the first born on that side of the family. So I was uh, I was blessed that people, you know, all my aunt and uncle that were married, newly married, but had no kids sort of took me under their wing and they used to basically spoil me. So this particular uncle was well off and he had a, you know, he had a nice boat that he would take out on weekends um, to the lake. So one of these weekends, uh, vividly remember uh, going out with them. Uh, It was it was a summertime, you know. Uh, typical day out where you go enjoy park your boat at the side of the shore have a picnic and uh, just kind of let the day the lazy day go by so um, I did not know how to swim and I did not learn how to swim until I was probably in uh, in my probably 11 or 12 years of age Uh, before that when I'm my seven six years of age I remember I used to go to the pool so I used to hang on to the edge and sort of uh uh, you know, go 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 around the pool, if you will, uh, hand over hand, as as you as you, somebody would uh, <laughs> climb a climb a building. You know, hanging on to the edge of the pool for all your life. But in this particular um, occasion, I felt very, I felt uh, I felt safe. The boat was probably about ten feet away from the shore. It was a tranquil lake, uh, and um, I could make my way into probably about five to ten. Uh, feet uh, away from the shore and it was at about maybe about a a foot a foot and a half so I said maybe you know the boat's about five feet away from me it's probably about maybe another three feet of water I was probably like you know five foot at that time four foot so I decided to venture out not knowing how to swim 
my aunt and my uncle were uh, undoubtedly looking away, doing other things. And uh, as kids do in a couple of seconds, they tend to get into trouble. Uh, I remember there was a line that was tying the boat to the to the shore, but this line happened to be slacked. You know, it wasn't uh, it, w- it wasn't a a wavy day at the lake as most days are. You know, lakes tend to have a little bit of waving, but not much where you have to anchor a boat solidly to to the shore. Uh, so, to my recollection, I did not. Um, Use this line as a gateway of safety to draw myself uh, into into the bow of the of this of this boat. So you know, lo and behold, I was making my way. I must have been about a foot away from reaching the boat when all of a sudden the lake uh, gave way to 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 more of a depth. Uh, I think it probably dropped from like two to three feet to it could have been you know eight or nine feet, and uh, I lost footing. And I started to panic, as people that don't know how to swim should panic when they encounter themselves in a body of water. Um, my only, um, I couldn't yell, obviously, because you're underwater. Um, I couldn't thrash around because it didn't occur to me. So I distinctly remembering panicking and uh, trying to understand uh, how I can get out of this predicament so I um, I would sink uh, as far as I could and I would uh, use the bottom of the shore of the lake as a step zone if you will and I would push myself up obviously the energy would be distributed and then you know in the, in the first few feet as I pushed away and by the time I, I reached the top and try to grab hold of the boat uh, I was not coming close uh, I must have tried this thing probably about six or seven times and uh, I started to hear an echo or a chorus. Uh, how I describe the chorus, uh, to me, it sounded like a choir of angels. That's how I describe it. It sounded like angels singing. And I've discussed this experience on the show before. And one of the co-hosts at the time mentioned that there's an angelic frequency that uh, or, or a healing frequency that's uh, 432 hertz and um, lo and behold I listened to the frequency online if you put to 400 let me just make sure I don't give you misinformation but if you put 432 hertz uh, music yes it's 432 hertz music this is a frequency of the it's called cosmic energy holy spirit um, and this is uh, a this is the frequency of the choir was singing at that I experienced in that brief moment while I was uh, drowning. For many years, uh, I could not find, uh, I'm a musician as well, but I could not find the tone until uh, one of the other co-hosts mentioned it to me. And I was, uh, you know, I, I became very emotional because that's exactly what I, what I heard uh, while I was drowning. <clears throat> Lo, you know, you know, after struggling, uh, obviously I made it. Uh, during one of these um, rescue pushes, if you will, I was able to grab a hold of the front of the boat, and uh, here I am. But it always stuck to me that um, that I had a tranquility about the event, and that I have experienced and I heard a choir of music singing as I was. Um, you know, underwater, if you will. Obviously, once I was, I kind of self-rescued myself, quote unquote. Um, 
my heart was beating at 100 miles an hour and I immediately looked toward the shore to see if I was going to get uh, reprimanded for doing something so foolish but uh, none of my, my uncle and aunt were not aware of what was happening <laughs> uh, and I'm glad because it would have been hard to explain but I always carry this with me and this was my own particular experience did I see anything? no did I have an out-of-body experience? no do you need those to have necessarily NDE? no How long was underwater? Was I medically dead? No. Um, but I consider that as a near-death experience because I could have drowned very easily had I been there for another few seconds. I did hear uh, tonality and I did experience uh, an hallucination, call it what you will. I did experience the singing in a choir and it happened to be this particular frequency. So that's my own personal experience. Could it have brain my brain function? I don't know. Maybe. I don't think so. Um, you know. Uh, but yeah, this is what that's my, my personal experience with this. And if you guys have had a personal experiences yourself and you're listening to the show, I would like you guys either to call us, call me, or you join us on StreamYard so we can discuss it before I go on with the with the with the show notes. Uh, this is a very personal thing. Um I've never publicly discussed it as of last year. I've briefly mentioned it to other people, but I've never really discussed it. But uh, I feel comfortable sharing it with you guys. And um, and if you want to share it with the rest of us, either click on the link or call me at uh, area code 951-888-0313. 951-888-0313 or just click on the link. Just kind of man... Um, I'm going to demand here the the comment section. Let's see, are you an atheist, Doc? No, I'm not an atheist. I'm actually a Christian. Um, I, I, I was uh, always into the spiritual. I um, I used to attend the Mass uh, a lot when I was little. I've always uh, sort of have a fascination for um, for the Church. Not necessarily the Church, but for the uh, for for God, if you will. So grew up uh, very strong. I grew up in a South American country, so it was very strongly Catholic. Uh, and then I uh, became a Christian uh, when I was 21. And um, 48 right now. This happened in 96, I believe. I was 21. And I I was, I became a believer ever since. Um, widow uh, says, what is your opinion of the pineal gland and its role in birth, death, and NDEs? Uh, you know, a Widow, unfortunately, I didn't dive that deep into it. But if you have anything to say, man, uh, come on the show. If you have, I, I don't really have, uh, I don't have anything because I didn't, um, I understand the pineal gland, you know, more as a as a medical doctor, not, not necessarily as a, as a paranormal fan, you know, but um But yeah, the pineal gland is the main function from a medical perspective is basically it's an area of the brain that receives uh, information, you know, light, dark cycles from the environment. And, and it's basically in charge of producing uh, melatonin. So this is like the hormone that uh, this is the part of the brain that deals with, uh, with being able to distinguish day, daytime, nighttime and provide us rest when we need rest. But there's also been... Um, You know, there's also been some uh, attributes to this pineal gland, whether it be from uh, Egyptian culture or other cultures that uh, that have called this area the third eye. But that's, just, you know, that's actually as far as I, I know. 
uh, about the pineal gland. Uh, let's see here. Jennifer Andrews says, my judgment evolves around the emotions of the moment. A dream is a dream, but there are dreams and experiences that are not merely individual perceptions. I understand. Um, thank you, Jennifer. That means a lot. Yes, I've had a few instances where I believe somebody else helped me. Yeah, I uh, exactly. Somebody could have helped me, you know, kind of give that, that extra push. And um, thank you, Jennifer. You guys mean a lot. I appreciate you. Thank you. So uh, with, with that being said, um, let's kind of go back into our our, um, our our subject at hand, which we left it off at, uh, at one of the cases. That was Dr. Evan Alexander's case. Uh, our second uh, case, uh, we're going to speak about uh, Pam Reynolds, who um, who's an, an, another well-documented case of a near-death experience. Uh, Mrs. Reynolds uh, gained attention due to the unique circumstances that surrounded her particular case. Uh, she underwent a complex brain surgery known, uh, known as a standstill procedure during which her body temperature was lowered to induce a state of clinical death. And uh, so here are some of the key points in regards to um, to Mrs. Pam Reynolds, NDE. She, was, uh, she is an American singer-songwriter, and in 1991, she underwent uh, this particular standstill procedure uh, to actually three, uh, treat a large and life-threatening aneurysm in her brain. For those uh, who don't know, an aneurysm is basically a dilation of an artery. So think about it as a hernia in an artery. You know, uh, the kind of hernias that, that we know is basically when there's a, a weakening of a wall, if you will. You have a weakness within a wall for the like an, an abdominal hernia. One of your muscles uh, becomes weak, and so your intestines uh, protrude through that weakness, and that's what we call a hernia. When it comes to uh, an aneurysm, that is a weakness within the walls of an artery. You know, arteries are at an increased, tremendous pressure. You know, the pump that the heart pumps daily and constantly at a tremendous pressure. And so sometimes if there's a weakening to the wall of an artery, whether it be secondary to um, a defect uh, in the artery wall itself, or whether it be something that has to do with um, things that are in, 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 uh, inherited, uh, that kind of tend to live in families. And some aneurysms actually have uh, they have a genetic uh, component to it. But nonetheless, it's a weakening of an artery. So what we do is when we find uh, these aneurysms, we, we tend to treat them before they, they go kaboom, you know? Makes sense, because once you, once you have an aneurysm, uh, it's, it's, it's a grim prognosis. So in 1991, Mrs. Pam uh, Reynolds uh, had a life-threatening aneurysm, and this was the procedure that she underwent. This is known as hypothermic cardiac arrest, and this must be interesting to sit in a case like this. Also known as standstill, as I've mentioned it before. Her body temperature, uh, uh, it's lower to 60 degrees Fahrenheit, or 15 degrees Celsius. And uh, this shock uh, actually stop, stops the heart temporarily. Now, our temperatures should be about 98, right? 98 degrees. So you go to 60. I mean, this is, think about it. You go outside on a day when it's 98 degrees, and then you go outside when it's 60 degrees. Uh, it's phenomenal, the difference. 
During the standstill procedure, Mrs. Reynolds reported a near-death experience. She uh, described the sensation of leaving her body, so she had an out-of-body experience as well, and she was actually observing the surgical team from above, as we discussed previously. She recalled very specific details of the surgery, such as the appearance of the medical equipment being used and conversations among the medical staff. Pam's Reynolds case is notable uh, for the detailed nature of her out-of-body experience, including how accurate her observations um, were and um, the lack of explanation of how she would have been able to retain this information or gather this information when she was quote-unquote dead. Pam described encountering uh, deceased relatives during this near-death experience, including her personal, uh, her grandmother. The surgical team was nonetheless amazed when Pam later accurately described the unusual surgical instruments used during the procedure, since they were not visible from her vantage point on the operating table. The case of Pam Reynolds has been cited in discussions about the nature of consciousness and her detailed observations during period of clinical death present challenges to conventional explanations. <clears throat> so this is a case that lends more credibility to the fact that there is such thing as the ability to leave one's body and experience life from a different vantage point. This case was popularized by neurosurgeon Dr. Michael Saboom, spelled S-A-B-O-M, in his book, Light and Death, where he discussed Pam's Reynolds experience and its implications for understanding both consciousness and the afterlife. Pam Reynolds' case continues to be discussed in debates about the nature of consciousness, the possibility of awareness during clinical death, and the validity of near-death experiences. Pam Reynolds' near-death experience remains a compelling and widely cited example, and here I am citing it today, raising questions about the relationship between consciousness and the functioning of the brain during extreme medical conditions. You know, um, there's a lot of things that go into play uh, in regards to NDEs. You have uh, the out-of-body, you have NDEs, and you also have experience of people actually going into the afterlife. <clears throat> there's one particular book that I read when I was in medical school about this gentleman who, um, what was it called? He was, he was in an, uh, an automobile accident and he was, uh, quote-unquote, dead for a few minutes. Um, and he was able to recollect a lot of things. It's a fascinating book. Um, let me do a little bit of research here. Yes, Don Piper. That was the name of the book. Mr. Don Piper, P-I-P-E-R. Uh, 90 Minutes in Heaven, A True Story of Death and Life, a book by Cecil Murphy and Don Piper. I read this. Uh, this was published in 2004. I think I read this in 2005. So it's a phenomenal book, and he does a lot of interviews on um, on YouTube. So look for 90 Minutes in Heaven by Don Piper. It'll bring you some insightful, um, you know, insightful um, testimony, if you will, of uh, near-death uh, experiences and the science or lack of science behind these medical cases. Let's see here. Uh, just going to attend, attend, uh, attend the comment section. Um, 
Very cool stuff coming from Widow Jennifer always. Thank you for the compliments. It, it, um, I appreciate them. Now let's put on our skeptics hat, shall we? Uh, in order for us to maintain balance, as I said before, we need to maintain a balanced view. Uh, we're going to bring in a, you know, we're going to try to read some uh, skeptics uh, thoughts, right? On, on, on what uh, ne the near-death experiences are from a physiological or scientific uh, standpoint. So um, some, some of the um, physiological explanations for this phenomenon have to do with, with hypoxia or anoxia. And what does that mean? It means the lack of oxygen in a physical body. Hypoxia means low level of oxygen. Anoxia actually means uh, no oxygen. Skeptics suggest that oxygen deprivation to the brain during a life-threatening event can induce hallucinations and vivid experiences. Very valid, right? Endorphins release. The body's response to stress, such as the release of endorphins, could potentially create a sense of euphoria or alter perception. That's very valid as well. So these are all the physiological, very brief. You know, we can be here for days talking about this, but I want to. I like to keep this brief and to the point. So as far as physiological explanations, we have the state of the brain under lack or no oxygenation and we also have uh the brain's um reaction to endorphins okay now we have uh a neurological and explanations so we have the temporal lobe stimulation some skeptics have argued that electrical impulses or stimulation or abnormal activity in the temporal lobe of the brain may produce uh hallucinatory experiences similar to those reported in NDEs it's very valid People that actually have um, people that have a documented uh, history of seizures, and they have an, a, an area in their temporal lobe actually experienced uh, hallucinations and experiences while they're undergoing a seizure. So we have the temporal lobe stimulation, and we also have REM intrusion, rapid eye movement, REM uh, intrusion uh, actually uh, occurring during wakefulness may also lead to dreamlike experiences contributing to the NDE phenomenon. So those are the neurological explanations. Stimulation of the temporal lobe and REM intrusions. There's also cultural and religious influences as well. There's uh, both a cultural expectation and an archetypal imagery. So what would include a cultural expectation? Skeptics propose that cultural and religious beliefs can influence the interpretation of extraordinary experiences. Okay, people may interpret ambiguous or unusual events through the lens of their cultural or religious background. Symbols, this is the archetypal imagery. Symbols commonly associated with NDE, such as tunnels and bright lights, may be culturally ingrained and influence the content of reported experiences. It'd be fascinating, um, you know, this is just me thinking out loud, it would be fascinating to incur about cases of NDEs, people that are uh, and they're, you know, young children, people, if you will, with a with a clean, uh, clean slate, uh, you know, as clean as of a slate as we can have, you know, without any cultural um, impacts or maybe religious impacts, uh, to see if they're able to have recorded experiences, you know, without having had those uh, um, beliefs, uh, quote unquote, influenced them. Be 
would be fascinating to do a show just on, on young kids having had experiences. Mm. Um, you know, we also have to consider memory and reconstruction, right? Uh, memories can be distorted and also we can confabulate. These are things that are possible. Um, sometimes as we dream, our dreams become distorted and confabulated. I've personally noticed myself that uh, if I've had a vivid dream, uh, after two to three minutes of, of being awake, the, the dream sort of vanishes. So I'm able to, if I was able to just wake up from a dream and be able to pen everything down, um, I could kind of recall and, and keep that dream. But if I wait a minute or two, then the facts sort of vanish. Very, uh, that, that's my personal experience. So uh, memory distortion. Uh, skeptics argue that memories of NDEs may be distorted or reconstructed over time. The emotional impact of the experience can influence how individuals remember and recount the events. It's very valid. And you also have confabulations. So critics also suggest that individuals may unintentionally fabricate or embellish details of the NDEs, especially when questioned about their experiences. <clears throat> very valid. Uh, next, we have selective reporting. This is called survivor's, survivor's bias. And this is when an individual who reports an NDE or those who have survived life-threatening situation, uh, the bias may lead to an over-presentation of positive or transcendent experiences as opposed to negative or non-existent ones. Um, that's a valid point, but I've also, there's been a lot of testimonies of people that have had negative NDEs in which they experience themselves in uh, quote-unquote going to hell, being influenced or under the oppression of demons or a devil. And so, um, you know, you can find all kinds of videos on this stuff on, on YouTube. And, and I encourage you if, you, if you like the topic, to go ahead and make up your own mind and see what you can, you know, what you can get from these experiences. The, the role, my role uh, as a show host is to speak about things that are interesting to me and interesting to you since we share the same affair and love for, for the paranormal and bring you... Um, things from both perspectives in order for you guys to be able to make up uh, your mind. Variability in experiences, inconsistencies, uh, skeptics highly highlight the variability in reported NDEs. If NDEs were consistent and universally similar, you might support the argument for a common external reality. However, the diversity of experiences raises questions about the reliability and objectivity of these accounts. I don't really agree with this point. I think that you can say the same for dreams. You know, if dreams were real, then everybody would dream the same dreams. And you know, that's not the case. So I don't know, it's a new point for me, but it could be a good point for you. There's also psychological factors, and these are divided into two. One of them is wishful thinking, thinking and the other one would be coping mechanisms. In regards to the wishful thinking, skeptics propose the desire for an afterlife or the fear of death by influence individuals to interpret ambiguous or extraordinary experiences evidence of an NDE. I don't know if a dying brain has the ability to work things complicated, um, but it's a point nonetheless. And also the coping mechanism point, the psychological need for comfort and reassurance during a life-threatening situation may contribute to the creation of comfort or transcendent experiences. It is very important to note that while skepticism obviously exists, the scientific community continues to investigate and explore the nature of near-death experiences. 
Ongoing research aims to better understand the psychological, physiological, and cultural factors that contribute to this phenomenon. Now, I'd like to, in this particular event and experience, I, I don't really like to uh, default uh, to science or the scientific community as being um, the handler for all things truth, you know? I think it's valid. Uh, to have another, like I said before, to have a, a another sort of uh, way to look at these, but uh, you know, the scientific community falls into the the community that they need to be able to recreate things and uh, undergo the scientific. Uh, they have to undergo the scientific. Um, what is it? The, the scientific. I, I'm forgetting the word, but you know, yes, know what I mean. So this is more of a personal experience to me. Uh, and it can be interpreted as such. The scientific method is the word that I'm looking for. And when it comes to NDEs, it's hard to replicate, right? It's hard to get just those right situations. Um, let me tend the lines before we go on, uh, go on our topic. I hope you guys are having fun. I'm having fun with this topic. Uh, you know, our, our show, our new format of the show tends to go about an hour, hour and a half. So. Whenever I cross the one hour mark, I'm happy because it means that uh, <clears throat> you guys are enjoying the topic and I'm kind of enjoying it as well. Let's see. Thank you, Waiter. I appreciate you, man. Hey, Michaela, good to have you on the show. Um, let me see. I go back a little bit, Michaela. So Michaela stated in one of her first comments, "I haven't had any NDEs personally, but I have worked in palliative care and hospice." Yeah, we've seen things, girl. I've seen people very near to death and held the hands of those who cross over completely. Yeah, isn't that an amazing um, honor? I've been uh, involved in healthcare myself, and I've been there in many rooms where either death has just passed or death is getting close to bringing somebody over and it's an amazing experience and Jennifer yeah you're a geriatric caregiver so you've seen things I bet you have I bet you have some said this is Michaela again some have said they've seen deceased loved ones and described their spiritual experiences prior to crossing over that's amazing it's very nice very reassuring uh, to those of us who believe in an afterlife and to those of us who struggle with fear of death, which many of us have, um, I used to. And then once I became a Christian, I lost all my fear in that. But for me, it used to be uh, the subject of many awakened nights. Michaela states, no near-death experiences for myself. I've just been present medically while others have gone through it. Yeah, same here. I've had both. Jennifer Andrews states, I have in a few cases, I felt like their spirits move through me and in a way, thank me for being there. I bet they have, I bet they have. And I'm sure you provide very generous and loving care. It takes a special individual to, uh, to work in that particular field. It's, uh, it's a field that takes a lot from you, but it's uh, rewarding at the same time. Widow states, in the East, I always have intrigued me. I have been with many family members after they've passed. Each time they get moments of clarity and they see people on the other side. It's very interesting you mentioned that, Widow. There is a phenomenon um, 
and I forgot the particular name, but there's a period of time when people have been, let's say somebody has been bed bound for 10, 15 days, completely out of it. And right before they cross over, they have a, a lucidity, an episode of lucidness in which they can sit up and walk around the room and pretend like nothing's going on. And then all of a sudden they pass away. Um, let me look at it, it's gonna bug me. Okay, so there is a term for that. Yeah, it's called terminal lucidity. And this is sometimes noted by those caring for the dying. This is a period when a critically ill person transiently experiences increased alertness. Energy surges in an unexpected return to mental clarity and memory function shortness uh, shortly before their death. Uh, this is uh, actually, there's a case documented under the National Institute of Health. And it's called terminal lucidity. So, yeah. Um, I keep my heart goes to you, hospice. Yeah, hospice is rough. Yeah, that must have been uh, hard, Jennifer, as we get into that age in which we we start losing our, our loved ones. It's, um, it's the path of life, but it's an unfortunate one. You know, that kind of makes me and reminds me to enjoy every single day and to uh, be aware that... Um, that our life here is finite, you know, and that nobody is promised uh, tomorrow, right? Uh, Michaela comments, when my grandmother had passed due to a stroke, I went to work the next day at my clinic and a patient who was unaware of uh, what had happened looked behind me and said I was being watched over. That's beautiful. There's a lot of cases like that. Widow comments, uh, terminal lucidity. I've watched pets also go through something similar. All of a sudden, they are fine, and then they're saying goodbye, and then they're gone. Yeah. Yes. Comments, uh, Jennifer. My mother had terminal lucidity and was very scared. Then her toes turned a different type of color, and I knew it was over. May her rest. Yeah. May, may she rest. Rest in peace, Jennifer. Hard losing her parents. Let's see here. We're gonna. We're going to go to our sixth segment for the show. This is called the cross-cultural NDE segment. So, An example of a cross-cultural near-death experience actually comes from the case of George Rodonaya, R-O-D-O-N-A-I-A, who was a Russian neuroscientist. His NDE occurred in 1976 and is very noteworthy because it shares similarities with accounts reported in different cultural and religion contexts. So it kind of answers a little bit to uh, prior mentioned uh, skeptics. Let's see. Kind of, all right, here we go. Um, George Rodinaya was a Soviet neuroscientist, and he was also an atheist. And in 1976, he was struck by a car in the city of Rostov, Russia, and pronounced clinically dead by the medical team that attended to him in 1976. During the time he was clinically dead, Rodonaya reported a vivid near-death experience. And some of the key elements surrounding this experience included an out-of-body experience in which Mr. Rodonaya described observing his lifeless body from above and witnessing the medical efforts to revive them. A live review, he recalls experiencing a panoramic live review, revisiting significant events from his past, and this element is often reported with NDEs worldwide, 
regardless of cultural or religious backgrounds. Mr. Rodanaya also was able to meet beings made of light. He encountered uh, beings of light during his NDE. These entities communicated with him through telepathy and emanated an overwhelming sense of love and understanding. Similar encounter with this benevolent beings are reported in NDEs across different cultures. Mr. Rodanaya also experienced a tunnel experience. He described moving through a tunnel towards a bright light, another characteristic that's very common to the NDEs. So what makes Rodanaya's case cross-cultural is that his background as a Soviet neuroscientist and both an atheist contrast with the cultural context in which many NDEs are commonly reported. In many Western accounts, encounters with beings of light, life reviews, and tunnel experiences are often associated with a religious or a spiritual belief. Rodanias NDE challenges the notion that these experiences are solemnly shaped by cultural or religious expectations. It is important to recognize that while there are shared elements in NDEs across cultures, the interpretation and cultural content can influence how individuals make sense of these experiences. So, the Rodanias case adds to the body of evidence suggesting that certain aspects of NDEs may transcend the cultural and the religious boundaries and provide a common theme in the human experience of facing death. I like how that was worded. And before we go into the next segment. So would have commented, I love hearing the NDEs where they are above their body watching the doctors. They get back into the body to describe all activities around the doctors that were dead. Yeah, this is amazing. I've heard some really, really cool um, stories surrounding this phenomenon, including uh, when uh, it happened, there was one surgery that I can recall hearing about when, in which the doctors were making uh, fun of the patient's body uh, and she was able to call him out after 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 the experience. So that was that was a cool way because then the doctors were flipping like, well, how the heck did you hear that? You know, let's see here. Um, Goth Bosch Incarnate says Frederick Hubbard Gain Win was told me sometimes dead is better, but nobody's really dead. Yeah, maybe we just uh, change address, right? That's what happens. I, that, that's my personal belief. I, I believe that the, the body the, the body passes, the body dies, but the soul is uh, the soul is how would I put it? The soul does not die. The soul is eternal. Our bodies are not, but the soul is. Let's go on here with our next part. Our next segment is called the transformative power of having or experiencing an NDE. <clears throat> the power and transformation that people with NDEs uh, encounter after the event is a recurring theme among the people who have undergone and experienced these profound encounters. NDEs often bring about significant shifts in an individual's both beliefs, values, and also perspective on life and death. Here are some examples and illustrations about some impacts that NDEs have had on these particular individuals. I have one, Dr. Mary Neal. She was a, she's an orthopedic surgeon who had a near-death experience while kayaking in Chile. That's funny. That's where I'm from. I didn't read that before. Yeah. I was born in Chile. 
Um, she found herself without a pulse for more than 30 minutes. Um, well, somebody found her. Somebody found her without a pulse for more than 30 minutes. I'm sure she couldn't find herself without a pulse. But uh, following her NDE, uh, Dr. Neal reported that a profound transformation in her priorities and values. She spoke about an increased sense of compassion, a deepened connection with others, and a decreased emphasis on material pursuits. Amen. Neil became more spiritually oriented and focused on living a meaningful and purpose life. Mr. Howard Storm was a former atheist and art professor, and he had a near-death experience after a perforated stomach uh, led to a life-threatening situation. Professor Storm's NDE included encounters with beings of light who challenged him to examine his own life. Following the experience, he underwent a significant transformation leaving his atheistic beliefs behind and embracing a more spiritual and compassionate outlook. Not to say that atheists are uncompassionate. You know, maybe Howard Storm was incompassionate. Uh, Storm went on to become a minister and shared his NDEs to expire others. Beautiful. We have a Danian Brinkley who had multiple near-death experiences, the first occurring after being struck by lightning. During a subsequent NDE, he reported encountered with angelic beings in a life review. Brinkley's NDEs inspired a radical shift in his personal life. He became an advocate for hospice care, founded organizations to support veterans, and authored books about his personal life experiences. His NDEs redirect his focus towards service, compassion, and the importance of love in human existence. Melon Thomas Benedict had a profound NDE during his terminal illness that led to a clinical death. After his NDE, Benedict became an artist and a spokesman for the transformative power of the NDE. He emphasized the interconnectedness of all beings and the importance of unconditional love. Benedict's experience to redirect his life towards artistic expression and spreading a message of love and unity. Kimberly Clark Sharp had a near-death experience after complications during surgeries. Her own experience post led her to reevaluate her life and both her priorities to become prominent research and advocate for the study of NDEs. Her NDE profoundly influenced her career path and dedication to understanding the spiritual dimension of both life and death. These examples highlight the diverse ways in which NDEs can bring about transformative changes, leading individuals to reevaluate their beliefs or values in their life choices. The impact often extends beyond the individual, influencing their relationships, their work, and contributions to society. Some of the closing thoughts as we wrap up this journey into the mysterious realm of near-death experience, we encourage you, our listeners, to ponder the question raised by these accounts. Are these glimpses into an afterlife or are they simply the results of complex brain processes during times of crisis? Yep. Very cool. I like the show. Um, let me go here, go back to the comment section. Here's my thing, says Jennifer. Everyone who, who's had an NDE has been sent back because the reason hasn't been accomplished yet. Do we all have a purpose? Absolutely. Absolutely. I 100%, I think, you know, 
we all have an expiration date and we don't live a second past that date regardless of what we do, what we eat, how much we exercise or how safe we want to be, you know? So once our purpose, final purpose has been fulfilled, I think up we go. And I think goth like the term, we change addresses. <clears throat> Widow commented also on that. He said, yes, absolutely. We all have a purpose, mission and lessons to learn. I agree with that 100%. <laughs> he also quotes from the Blues Brother, we're on a mission from God. We're getting the band back together, man. That was an awesome movie. Goth also says that uh, reality is learning experience. We come here to learn certain important things, and that's the purpose. Some are greater, some have greater purposes than others, and it doesn't really matter much. I think uh, if we all, I personally believe that um, when I when it's my time, uh, that we'll be able to see that the, the things that we quote unquote dismissed as being small, uh, that we perhaps did for others as being the greatest things that we could possibly could have done, you know? So, so let's say that you lived an amazing life and you were, you created a, you know, you were able to contribute to a hospital for kids that have diseases. Uh, and the same person in his life maybe bumped elbows with somebody um, when they were in their 20s and was able to provide a word of relief or maybe was able to provide advice. We don't know. Maybe that advice will be counted uh, or would have made more of a radical change than his setting up of a hospital ever did. So that's why we always need to be attentive to our purpose and what we do, as well as, um, you know, things that we encounter. Sometimes we, we encounter uh, people or we encounter things and we may not feel up to task to cooperate or to help, but there's a nagging um sensation that will tell us like you know it's okay to be out of the comfort zone or it's okay for you to maybe you don't want to get out of bed and go help somebody but maybe that's a purpose that's going to have uh it's going to generate a lot of um positivity if you will not only in your life but the life of others you know so even the little things i think the little things are going to be able to be counted uh, for a lot Jennifer, yeah, there must be something further than physical life. I agree. Another fun question. Why do we only use a small percentage of our brain in this physical life? What else is there? Well, <clears throat> kind of hate to ruin the surprise, but that's actually a, that's a misbelief. We, we pretty much use the brain to full capacity. That I think that, that uh, that's something that came out a long time ago, but no, we, we don't we don't just use 10% of our brains, we use more. It's close to like 90, 80, 90%. The other% could be storage. Uh, I, I don't know, but uh, yeah. Okay, so gosh, yeah. Goth mentioned it's not accurate science. All right, guys. Well, um, thank you for uh, for sticking by the show, for helping uh, make it into an interesting afternoon for me, and for being good friends. Uh, hit that like button and subscribe. I know everybody says it, but you know what? It really does make a difference. Uh, and share this with your friends so we can grow. My um, 
Thank you, Widow. My original intent was for this to be a call-in show, and uh, I'm going to stick to it because that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a call-in show in which we can discuss all kinds of things. We can also have topical days. We can have people call in, and we can have interviews. I love interviewing people. So with you guys, I know that that's possible. And uh, again, I thank you. Have a good remaining Tuesday. And um, God bless you guys. Thank you again for uh, for listening, for being faithful to the show. And uh, be blessed. Take care, guys. <laughs>